Hey guys, uh, before we get started, I want to sh- give out the invitation one more time. The invitation is very simple. If you guys are having uh, a time where you are gathering and, you know, maybe at home you, you don't uh, sense that this space is a space dedicated for worship, I, wanna, I just want to uh, encourage you guys and give the invitation. Feel free to come out uh, to our center. We're doing live service anyway, so come out, find yourself in a nice corner, be in a place where you can dedicate that time, that energy for this sacred moment, because it is a sacred moment as we encounter God together, okay? So it's, uh, it's here for you guys, if you guys are uh, in for it. If not, you know, my next thing is I encourage you guys, gather together in smaller groups to, uh, in your homes, with your small groups, with your salt leaders, with the people you have, and kind of just do worship together afterwards, you know, ask some questions, and then break bread together. It'll be a great time to uh, do our service in a smaller setting at home, okay? So that's, uh, that's what we've been, um, just want to lay that out for you guys and give you guys that invitation. But we are in a series called Foundations, Foundations, okay? And the reason why we came up with this series for this beginning of this year was 2020 was a very difficult year for a lot of us. I mean, there was a lot of victories that we saw on 2020 with TLC. And I shared with that with you guys last week. If you guys want to know what those things were, go back uh, to last week's message and just kind of check it out in the beginning. We had a lot of victories here at TLC. So that was a win. But at the same time, there were a lot of walls that we built up within ourselves and within to the people around us. We, we begin to isolate ourselves from different opinions. We begin to isolate ourselves emotionally, mentally, intellectually, right? And we build these walls around us. And I, and I realized that Possibly, possibly, the reason why these walls were built around us is because whatever happened in 2020, we might have forgotten, we might have forgotten the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We might have lost the picture of what it looks like, right? We may have lost the footing of our own personal foundation in God. And so we wanted to start this year saying, look, let's, let's, let's build again, let's restore this moment and build our, renew our minds, our, our, our hearts, our, our emotions, our, our, our spirit back on the foundation of God's truth. So that way, instead of actually building walls, we will go beyond our walls. That this year will be a year of true restoration for all of us. And so that's, that's my hope for um, this, uh, this, this series. Last week, we talked about very simply, everyone believes in something. You and I, we all believe in something. The real question is, the thing that you have place your whole entire belief on, is that thing big enough to handle your life's um, expectations? Is, 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 what it, is whatever you built your whole entire life on, the truth that you built your life on, is it big enough to answer questions about the human existence, about justice, morality, suffering? Is, is, is your truth big enough to connect to these things. So here you are, if you are a, a if you're out there and you, 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 don't, you don't have a belief in God, but you kind of believe in the idea of, you know, naturalism. You, we all come from something. We're all bettering ourselves. We're all trying to be the better version of ourselves, yada, yada. And we're, it's, it's this picture of survival of the fittest. We, we're, we're evolving, right? Quote, unquote, evolving. If that's the foundation, does that foundation, does that truth match up with the way you live? How do you Set your life on the foundation that's about the weak being taken over by the strong, and now all of a sudden fight for justice, fight for the poor. How do you, how do you build a life saying that this is it? It's all about evolution. It's all about becoming better, and then all of a sudden <clears throat> be a person who is out there, upset 
that we're not fighting for more justice. We're not fighting for the weak and the poor. You see, if you build your foundation on a holy God, then it makes sense. And in Christianity, there's a resource that helps us to deal with big things like suffering, like hopelessness, like vision, like future. So my question last week was very simple. We all believe in something. The real question is, does your belief help answer the question of the human existence, right? Is your God big enough to answer that, or are you living in contradiction, right? You may believe something, but you actually live intuitively knowing that there is probably a bigger God out there. So question today is, how do we find this God? Can we find this God, right? Can we find this God? And the answer is yes. I'm going to share with you a passage from the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And this is Moses encountering the great I am. Moses finding God. We can find this God because he's not hidden. He's not far. He's not some dude up in the heaven somewhere. He started everything and he's left us alone. We can find this God, right? And we're going to see how Moses did that. So if you can open your Bibles to Exodus, chapter 3. Let me just read uh, these verses for you. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, to give us context of what's happening here. And in this passage, we see Moses, who at this time was once a prince of Egypt, exiled from Egypt, living in in this land now, Hebron, and um, Horeb. And what what happens is he, he begins to encounter something very phenomenal, a burning bush. And we're going to see this encounter and how we can learn to find God in the midst of all this. You guys ready? Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord, or a messenger of the Lord, appeared to him in the flames, a fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was, was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, or I will turn aside and go to see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. God said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And right after, God says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flown with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Oh, heavenly father. Lord, you are not a God that is far or distant from us, but you are a God 
that seeks relationship from us. And I pray that this coming year in 2021, oh Lord, as we, as a community, as friends and family, as we gather to seek and to find you, Lord, I pray that we will find you as you are, oh God. I pray, oh Lord, that we will not make you up to be something that is tangible to our own understanding, our own liking, but Father, we will find you as you are and allow for the fire of your truth to mold and shape us, oh God. Today, oh Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters at home and here gathered together that we would encounter you in a mighty and powerful way, that we would know that you are near if we would come, if we would turn aside. And so, Lord, find us today. Meet us here in this place. We lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. See, I'll tell you the truth, guys. A lot of us, we are down to search for God. We are down to look to see who God is. But here's the problem. We're not down to actually finding God. You guys realize that? There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of people out there who are very spiritual. They, they, they seek to be spiritual, but none of them actually desire to find God. They would say something like, you know, the joy is in the journey, not the destination. I don't need to find God. I just need to engage in the spiritual uh, rhythm of life. And we see that there's this emptiness that makes them want to find something spiritual, right? That may be you, actually. You may be out there seeking for God, wanting to, wanting to engage in something beyond yourself because you recognize there's an emptiness there that no amount of money, no amount of joy, no amount of play can fill. And you're always searching for more. You recognize there is some sort of spirituality that you're looking for, but the problem is we often seek for spirituality, but we don't want to find God. And my thing is, can we find God? And the answer is yes. Yes, you can find God. If you would search for him, he actually wants you to find him. Right? I know why a lot of you guys don't want to look for God, though. Because a lot of you guys, uh, probably like myself, who've grown up in the church, and you've seen the, the bickering, you've seen the hypocrisy, you've seen the backstabbing, you've seen the judgment, you've seen the bigotry within God's people, within the church, and you're thinking, if they found God, and that's finding God, I don't want any of that. And that's fair. That is totally fair, right? And for the record, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at our situation, our political spectrum nowadays, it's the same thing. We got people in our church divided. On one side, you know, we got one side saying, you know, I don't even believe that my parents are Christians. Right? Think about what they're doing. And on the other side, the parents are emailing me telling me, I don't think my kids are Christians. Right? Look at what they're doing. Right? Look at what they, what they stand for. And my thing is, if you guys are judging each other, if you're, if you're unable to disagree and yet still have love for one another, then the big problem is, whatever God you think you found, you need to go look again because that's not our God, right? And so here's my word. Can we find God? And I want you to be able to leave this Sunday realizing God can be found. But he's not the type of God that you think. So if you stick with me, let me share with you how to find God. Whether you are a Christian for many years or you're still starting out on the, on the faith journey, can I find God? The answer is yes. All right? 
But before I start, though, I have to, we have to recognize a fallacy in, in this idea of um, uh, judging the church, judging God based on the church, right? There's, there's a fallacy behind it. Let me, let me explain this to you. Let's say, for example, John Doe, on Monday, he's always getting drunk, okay? So on Monday, he was drunk on gin and tonic, gin and soda water. On Tuesday, he was drunk on vodka and soda water. And on Wednesday, he was drunk on scotch and soda water. So what is that thing that's making him drunk? Obviously, right? Soda water, right? No, of course not. It's not soda water that's making him drunk. Just because, just because there's a commonality, it does not necessarily equate to this being the purpose. So here in church, when you find a person, yeah, here's a narrow-minded, bigoted, condemning person, and they, they found God, and here's a narrow-minded, bigoted, condemning person, and they found God, and here's a, another narrow-minded and bigoted person, and they found God. So that means that he's narrow-minded and he's bigoted because he found God? No. It means that there probably is something else that's causing the narrow-mindedness and the bigotness. Yes? It doesn't have to be that it's because of God. So if we understand that, if we understand that, then we can understand, at least start the journey on finding God. Because you got to find God, guys. If you don't find God, these walls are going to keep building up. If we don't find out who our God is, these walls are going to get bigger and bigger in 2021. And we're not going to be able to come close to each other. We're going to isolate from each other even more. We're going to divide over reasons. We're going to divide over things we disagree on. We're not going to be able to come together. We're going to divide intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. We got to find God. And where do we find God? In the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is a sacred book to the Jews, to Islam, and to Christians. It is a, considered to be a sacred book. And if you want to find God, this is the place in which he has revealed himself. So if you want to encounter God, you go here. Okay? And what we're going to see here in this passage is very simple. We're going to see this picture of a burning bush. Okay? And this burning bush is going to teach us three things about finding God. You guys ready? This burning bush is going to teach us three things about finding God. And I need you to focus on these three things. One, this burning bush is a disruptive site, right? To find God, there must be a disruptive situation that comes into your life. It is a disruptive site from your day-to-day life. This burning bush, number two, right, is an unmanageable power. It is a power that you cannot mold and hold and shape it the way you want it. It is a power that overcomes you. This burning bush is an unmanageable power. If you want to find God, you have to recognize he is a disruptive site. There's, he is an unmanageable power. And lastly, this burning bush is what? Right? That there is an angel from within the fire. There is a messenger from within the fire. First thing first. As Moses encountered these stages, that's how he came to find God. And I pray that as we go through these stages, we are going to find God that way. You guys follow me so far? Right? Three stages. First, the burning bush is a disruptive sight. Look at verse 1 to 3. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro to his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horab, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. It was a very disruptive sight. And so Moses thought, I will go over. Another word for the word go over here is the word turn aside. A better actually 
a better uh, translation for it. I will turn aside from what I'm doing, and I will go towards this site and see why the bush does not burn up. Right? Forty years, forty years, Moses was doing the exact same thing. He was in the exact same grind. He was a busybody doing the exact same thing every single day. He tended the flock of his father-in-law. He just went through the same motion over and over. Nothing's changed. Nothing was, um, uh, nothing, nothing disrupted his life. It was the exact same thing. And a lot of us, we feel this way too. We feel like our basic day-to-day life is the exact same rhythm over and over and over again. And there's nothing that really disrupts it. And we kind of go through the motions of this day-to-day life. But then what happens? Within this 40 years, Moses encounters a disruptive site, a site that made him do what? Turn aside. He was doing his day-to-day life. He was doing his day-to-day activity. And all of a sudden, something came into his life and disrupted it, changed it around, flipped it upside down, was a thorn in his side, something that was so odd that it literally made him turn aside and move towards it, right? A disruptive sight. Moses didn't say, right, today is the day I'm going to go look for God. I think a lot of you guys don't say that often at home, right? Today is the day I'm going to go search for God. No. What you need is a disruptive situation that comes into your life. And when that disruptive situation comes into your life, can I tell you, it is the first stage in which God is trying to encounter you. When you see a disruptive stage happening in your life, can I let you know that at that moment, if you're sensitive enough, you will begin to realize this is something that God is creating or putting together or going to use to help me encounter him. So instead of going about my day-to-day business, what I should be doing is to turn aside and go towards this disruptive site, to go towards this disruptive situation. See, we will never begin our search for God as long as we are in our busy, regular life being carried away with our day-to-day routine. See, Satan is not afraid, guys. Listen, Satan is not afraid of Christians. He's not. Not the Christians who go about their lives when God is a convenience for them and kind of go doing doing their own daily busybody things. He's not afraid of that. Because that's exactly what he does. He makes you busy. Satan puts in a situation in your life that can, makes you continuously go through this motion of your life day in and day out without having anything disrupt you to grow you, to deepen you, to help encounter you. He's not afraid of a Christian like that. He's not afraid of people like that. And so he creates busyness. See, if you're going through this grind day in and day out, it keeps you from doing what? It keeps you from asking the question, what's the purpose of this? Why am I doing this? Where is all this leading to? What is the ultimate meaning behind this? What is the ultimate end of all of this? We will never turn aside unless a disruptive sight comes. We will never do it. You guys follow me? We will never do it. And so what is that something for Moses? What what made him... Out of 40 years, he was probably going to plan to die in the desert in Midian, right? Taking care of his dad's, um, his father-in-law's sheep. He was, he was planning to die there. But what happened? A disruptive sight came before him. And what was that disruptive sight? A burning bush. 
A burning bush is a contradiction to a reality that he lives. He knows that things can burn, and he knows that when things burn, you feel hot, right? There's heat that comes out of it. And yet, this is a contradiction to his reality because he sees a burning bush, and yet there was no heat that comes from out, and it was not consumed. It was not burned up. So he said, what's going on? This can't happen. But here it is. It's happening. It's happening right before my eyes. It is a disruptive sight. And what does he do? He turns aside. You guys follow me? The first stage, if ever you want to engage in finding God, because he really wants to encounter you, is to recognize that there are things in your life that will happen in your life that's going to be a disruptive sight for you, that's going to contradict your personal reality. And when that moment comes, you have a choice of either to go and continue your busybody day, your same routine, being distracted by whatever it is you're distracted from, not asking the questions that are bigger than you, or you have the choice to do what? To turn aside. Everybody at home say, turn aside. Right? What are the burning bushes in our life? What are some of the burning bushes that can come into your life, right? Because I'm not going to lie to you, you probably won't see a burning bush today or tomorrow, okay? Or maybe ever, okay? But there are examples of burning bushes in your life. A burning bush can come in the form of an inexplainable person, someone who does something out of the ordinary to you, right? I remember, I remember, I had a, I had a, um, when I was tutoring, I remember there was a there was a older teacher there, older tutor there, right? And I did something clerically wrong in my uh, my, my thing that was going to get me in trouble because it would have messed up with the, the parents, and the parents would have read it and it would have gotten in big trouble. And instead of this is what happened, instead of me getting the full blame, you know what happened? My boss took the whole blame. He said it's my fault. When obviously it was my fault, right? Instead of, instead of saying oh it was Tony teacher's fault. He said, oh, I'm so sorry, parents, it was my fault. He took the blame for me. And that was a what? That is a disruptive sight. Because if you've ever been into a workplace, you know that oftentimes your boss don't take the blame. He actually puts the blame on you. You often know that oftentimes when you're in a workplace, you're the one that gets the short end of the stick all the time if you're the lower on the tatum pole. And you know, I, I was so shocked by that. I came up and I asked him, hey, you know, Mr. Lee, I'm, I'm really sorry about this, but you I would take full responsibility. You didn't have to say it was your fault. And he said, look, don't worry about it, right? I'm in a position that I can take the blame and things won't go bad. But you are in a position that if you took the blame, they might force me to fire you, right? Which I don't want to do. And so I can't be fired. So I'll take it. I'll take the hit for a little bit. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And I, and I was so... It was so disruptive to me because I've been to workplaces before and I've been to other uh, bosses before and I know for a fact if they can run me over with the bus, they would definitely run me over with the bus. But this boss of mine, which is still why I'm still working for him to this day, uh, you know, if you guys didn't know, I'm still working for him to this day, mostly because of this actually. He, he literally, this boss literally took the blame for me. And so I, I, I really want to know, so okay, why? Is it just like that? Like you just like like me that much? I mean, I'm not even that good of a teacher, right? And Because I just started. I just started off. Like, he said, no. I said, do you really want to know why? He says, yes. He says, because I'm a Christian. And I was like, oh, I'm a Christian too. But I would never do that. <laughs> you know, so he's like, because I'm, I'm a Christian, and my God has taken a bigger hit for me. 
And so I'm able to give that when I'm able to, right? That's it. That's the only reason. That was a disruptive sight for me. So instead of going about my day-to-day activity, it made me stop, pause, and turn aside and ask the question, what kind of God is this that would take a man, be willing to take the blame for another person? It's a disruptive sight. It's my burning bush. A burning bush for you could turn into like an inexplainable train of thought. You're, you're sitting there, you're having lunch, you're eating your sandwich, and all of a sudden, thought process begins to kind of work in your life. And you start asking big questions about your life. You start asking questions like, you know, if I'm a naturalist, right, someone who thinks that everything that came about is natural, chemical, evolved, accidents, then there's no reason why there's more value to human life versus a cockroach's life, right? There's no more value between a human life versus a life of, a, of an insect or a bug. But I know for a fact that human life has real value, intrinsic value, that there is beauty in this life. So here I am. This, this, this is a disruptive sight because my thought process is telling me there should be no value. And yet I know that there is value. So what does that lead me to? Is there a bigger God? Is what I'm basing my foundation on real? Is a naturalist really the best way to explain the world? It's a disruptive sight that engages your mind, takes you off of your day-to-day routine, and brings you face-to-face with the big question, God, are you really out there? What could be another type of disruptive sight for you? It could come in the form of trouble, an inexplicable trouble that comes your way. Trouble is a burning bush, right? See, as, as, um, as, as, as people who, you know, really want to do well, we have dreams for ourselves. We mapped out our future. We, we, we have plans. We have retirement set up. We're thinking about how to care for our children in the future. We're thinking about, you know, how to save for a house or a home. We're thinking about our health. We're planning all these things out, and we're really careful about it. And you believe that if I do this correctly, if I work really hard, if I'm really savvy, if I'm pretty frugal, I can make life manageable, right? And then all of a sudden, what happens? Trouble hits you. A pandemic comes your way. You lose your job. Your health deteriorates. You didn't get the job you wanted. You didn't get the promotion you were hoping for. And it comes straight and it smashes you right in your face. This reality, this, this inexplainable trouble hits you. And you begin to wonder. You thought that you could run your life, that you're competent enough, that you know how to deal with things. And now trouble has come your way and you realize you do not have control. That right there, my friend, is a burning bush. That right there, my friend, is a burning bush. And instead of going about just trying to push your way through it, going through your daily routine again, would you not turn aside and begin to walk towards and say, if trouble can take me off of my path that quickly, then is there a bigger purpose for my life than a 401k retirement plan? Is there a bigger purpose for my life than just retirement at the age of 50 or 40 or 30? Is there a bigger plan for my life than just to have kids? Is there a bigger plan for my life than just to buy a house? Is there a bigger plan for my life than just to make money? You see, because if if that's the case, the moment trouble hits you, you realize what? This is disruptive to my life. 
there must be something bigger. There must be something bigger. A last example of a burning bush for your life could be what? An inexplicable emptiness. Sometimes we think that if we can just get everything we want, if we can get our wives, our husband, if we can get the job, if we can get the the, the fame, the fortune, the power, the money, if we can just kind of climb our way up the ladder of success, if I can just finally get there, then everything will work out. Everything will be great. I will be finally happy. I will be finally great. Everything would work out for me. That's our way of thinking. And then what happens? You actually get there. And you realize what? It's just more emptiness. Isn't that true? When you were in high school, didn't you think, like, if I can just get to graduate high school and do the things that my friends do in or I see my older brothers and sisters do in college, that looks like fun. That looks like they're enjoying their education. And then you finally get there, and you go through college, and you realize, yeah, it's just more emptiness. And you think, well, maybe, maybe if I just can get the job and the career and be able to kind of take care of myself, then I will finally be happy. Then things will work out for me. And you get there, and you realize, I'm still not that happy. And you're thinking, maybe I can just get a six-figure salary somehow. Maybe I'll start investing, learning how to play the stocks. And you start doing that, and you start making the money. And at first, it's kind of fun, but then you realize after a while, it just leads to more emptiness. Did you know there's a study that's out there that says we only need about $75,000 to actually feel fulfilled? After that, it's just there's no extra happiness that's added on to the more amount of money you make, Right? So here's my thing. These are burning bushes. If you want to find God, recognize that these things that come your way often are actually burning bushes. And when they come, this is my suggestion for you. Some of you guys who's been searching, you probably encountered this already. But my suggestion is when these burning bush happens, do not ignore it. Do not swipe it under the rug. Don't just try to go about your day-to-day life again and again and again, just trying to force your way through it, would you stop like Moses stopped and turn aside? Everybody at home say, turn aside. You got to turn aside and engage into this burning bush because when you begin to start engaging in this line of thinking, this type of relationship, this type of issue, when you begin to engage in that, then you are taking the steps to finding God. What if Moses said, yeah, that's a pretty cool sight, uh, a bush that's burning but not consumed, but I got to get back to my dad at 8 o'clock, so um, sorry, bush, I'm just going to take my flock and go home, right? Can you imagine if Moses said that? What would happen? Israel would still be in Egypt. I don't know if Jesus would be born yet. Like, a lot of things, bad things would happen if Moses did not turn aside. See, you got to make room when these things happen. You got to make room and time. You got to let your life be disrupted enough. You got to have disruption of the way you begin to ask real questions. You got to make room about, you got to read up on these things. Don't just go back to the grind. Get deeper into the situation. Ask these questions further. Ask deeper questions. Find people, find books, find reasons. Come to service. Let me give it to you, right? You got to dig deeper into this. Not go about your daily routine. Some of you guys at home, you're thinking, hey, PT, is this a message for Christians or a message for non-believers? I don't get it, right? 
Because I kind of think I found God already. Let me tell you something. If you think you found God and this doesn't relate to you, let me tell you something. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. You know why? Because as a believer, you need a burning bush in your life. You need to encounter a burning bush in your life over and over and over again. Like I told you before, Satan is not afraid of a Christian who follows God out of convenience. Satan is not afraid of a Christian like that because he can get a Christian like that busy. He can get a Christian like that set up in a routine to do the same thing over and over and over and never really ask the big question about, God, what is it that you want for my life? What is it that I'm supposed to be going? What is it you're trying to teach me? What is it that you're trying to refine in me? We don't ask that question, right? You see, I don't want to be a tool for Satan. I want it, when I open my eyes in the morning, in the morning Satan will say, oh, guys, PT's up. We're in trouble. And so the one thing he does, the one thing he does to keep you set on his path is what? Make you not like distractions. Make it so that when disruption comes your way, you do everything possible to get rid of it rather than to engage in it. See, the reason why we're not like Christ, because our, uh, because our understanding of God is faulty. See, the average, the average Christian would say something like this, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is the meaning of my life, Jesus is the reason I live, then along comes something that disrupts your life. Along comes something that actually shakes it up a little bit, and all of a sudden Jesus goes out the window, because now it's like, I, no, I got to hustle now. Oh, I, I got to go back to do this now. Oh, I lost my job, so I got to focus more on this. See, you can proclaim with your lips how much you love Jesus, but if there's no disruption in your life where you're encountering God and moving with him, let me tell you something. Your lip service is just that, it's just lip service. There is no power behind you. See, a Christian needs to encounter a burning bush over and over. You got to let disruption happen to your life. So the first thing is this, to encounter God, to find God, the stage that Moses went through was he saw a disruptive sight, something he could not explain, and he turned aside and went towards it. But the second thing here that he realizes is this, look at verse 4 to 5, this is what he says. So he walks towards this bush and, why, and see why it does not burn up. And when he got there, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You see, a lot of us will be like, yeah, 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 PT, I'm, I'm all about the spirituality. That's why I'm searching. I'm a spiritual person. I love this disruptive sight. It makes me spiritual. Great. But here's the thing. What God are you looking for? What God are you finding? You see, the, the God that Moses encountered was an unmanageable God, was a God of unmanageable power. It's, he's, he's full of con contradiction. Check this out. You come to this bush. It's burning, right? And it leads you to this situation. He hears God calls out, Moses, Moses. You know, in the Bible, whenever a name is repeated twice like that, it's, it's a... Um, it's a declaration of love and relationship. So he's calling Moses. He's like, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that someone really wanting me? There's a drawing of closeness here. And so Moses says, yeah, that love, that desire to be, to be called by someone so big and so magnificent, I want that, I desire. And so Moses came. But the moment he came, God said, what? Stop. Take off your sandals. For the place where you stand is holy ground. So you guys see the contradiction? God calls him in. At the same time, he says, stop. Right? He calls him in, and he makes him stop. Why is that? Because God is not one or the other, guys. See, on one hand, God is a holy God. That's what the fire picture is about. It's a consuming fire. It's justice. It's majesty. It's holiness. Fire means I am what I am, not what you want me to be. Okay? That's why when Moses asked him, he said, what? I am. Don't compare me to anybody else. Tell them I am has sent you. I'm unlike anyone you've ever known. I'm unlike anything you've ever experienced. I am not manageable. You cannot fit me into your spectrum. You cannot understand me the way you want to understand me. See, a lot of us, when we say, I want to find God, check this out. When you say, I want to find God, what you're really saying is, I want a God that fits my needs. I want a loving God, right? And so you begin to construct this God that's all love and beautiful, and you make this clay mold of God. Let me tell you about the clay. It's clay. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't fit. It it just molds according to what you want it to be. You don't respect a God like that. You you can't honor a God like that that you can just create. You know this, honestly. Think about your bosses, right? If you have a boss that's a pushover, you don't respect that boss, right? If your boss is a pushover, you're like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not going to really listen to you. He tells you, I need you to do this. Most of the time, he's like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll do it. He's a pushover. And so what do you do? You kind of, you push him over because you don't really respect him. See, if a God, if God was just that, I'm all love, guys. Just come here. It's peace. Moses, Moses. And he draws you, and it's all about this lovey, dubby feeling. Ultimately, that's a God of your creation, and you're not going to respect that. At the same time, if, if, if God was this condemning God, full of fire, right, full of fire, then you, then you come to God, or this powerful God, well, you come to him to get something out of it. Hey, God, I'll do this for this. Right? I know that you won't, you'll be mad at me if I don't do this, so I'm going to do it just because of that, you know? Just because I'm afraid of you. You don't really love that God. You don't really want that God. You just what? You're mostly afraid of that God. Isn't that true? Isn't that, isn't that real? You see, in clay, the toucher molds the clay, but in fire, the fire molds the toucher. See, God is fire. And when you come before God, you have to change. See, this is a God that will contradict your life, not make your life better. You guys get me? This is a God, when you encounter a true God, he will contradict your life as you know it. He will tell you things that you may not like to hear. He may may push you to do things that you may not be comfortable in doing. He will push you out of your comfort zone. He will contradict what you believe in because only a God like that can actually change you. If you come and you find a God that says, oh God, I messed up, love me. Okay, I love you. All right, cool. Right? You don't respect a God like that. At the same time, if you come to a God and say, God, I've done this for you. I hope you'll forgive me now. I hope I've done enough, God, that, that you would actually care for me now. Right? 
That's not our God. See, Moses encountered a God who is completely powerful and yet completely intimate. He is completely powerful, and at the same time, he is completely intimate. He is not one or the other. He is both. So when you encounter God, when you come and find God, right, you know you found the right God when he begins to speak things to your life, things that contradict your life. When he says money is not the, it's not the means to the end, guys. It's just not, it's not the end in of itself. That's not what the purpose of money is. And you're like, oh, I don't know, man. I kind of like money. Money is my security, my hope, and my strength. And God says, I am your hope, your strength, not your finances. Would you learn to be generous with it? You're like, oh, no, that's kind of hard. Or he comes along, he says, hey, guys, sexuality is meant to be beautiful. I made it so that you can connect to the other person for life. I made it so that in your connection together, you can connect and come closer to me. Sexuality is beautiful, and I made it specifically to flourish if you would do it this way. And you go like, I don't know, God, I kind of like want to try every person I come in contact with just to know. He contradicts you, and yet in that contradiction, if you're willing to come into that, you encounter a real and powerful God. God says what? Life is precious. It has worth. It has meaning. It has value. And then you say, well, it's not convenient for me to keep this life. He will contradict you in your walk. So it's not just about finding a spiritual moment that you encounter or kind of being in a place where you're like, oh, okay, I want to encounter God. But the God that you encounter, you have to allow for him. You have to allow for the unmanageable power to speak into you. Where it's not just about love, it's not just about condemnation. It's not just about intimacy only. It's not just about power only. It is both and. He is both powerful and intimate. He is both loving and righteous. And so when you engage in him, he will shape you. He will refine you. And if you find yourself not being shaped or refined at all in your encounter with God, can I tell you something? You might be encountering the wrong God. If you are going to come and say, I'm going to encounter you, God, and you don't find yourself shaping and growing in that life, if you're, the sale, if you're, the, if you're still the exact same person you were 10 years ago, let me tell you something. Whoever God that you encounter is not the living God, because the God that we encounter is fire. And fire, brothers and sisters, fire molds the toucher. See, if you encounter a God and 10 years later you're still the same, the reality is what? You've just molded your God into your own personal image. And that God can do nothing for you. So first, it's a disruptive sight. Second, to realize that this God is an unmanageable power unlike anything that will disrupt your life, personal life, for the good, for the good, for your flourishing. But thirdly, thirdly, it was the angel of the Lord. It's very specific. Look at verse 2 again. What do you see? When he's turned, he saw the angel. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Okay? 
The, the word angel, don't ever get the uh, impression that the angel means winged creatures, right? Angel, the word angel in the Hebrew is just messenger. There was a figure in that bush. There was a human figure in that bush, a messenger of the Lord, right? In the Bible, there are a lot of messengers, but there's a very specific figure named the angel of the Lord. And whenever you see that term, the angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament, that is the root of the Trinity in the Old Testament. That is pretty much Jesus personified in the Old Testament, the physical entity of God on earth, right? And so it's not enough for you to have a disruptive sight that kind of gets you to think about your spirituality, and it's not enough that you have a you begin to recognize that your God that you're dealing with is a God of unmanageable power, but there has to be something very specific about this God, and this God is Jesus, right? He was in the midst of the fire. Why? Because he was the mediator between you and the Father. So what does fire do in the Old Testament? Fire consumes Fire enacts justice. Fire enacts righteousness. And you could not approach God if there is no mediator before you and God because how wretched you are and how perfect he is. And so the angel of the Lord, the messenger of Yahweh, Jesus Christ, acts as the mediator between you and God, you and the Father. See, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that bridges you and the Father together. And what Moses encountered was not just fire. He encountered the living God, Jesus Christ himself. Can you find God? The answer is yes. Yes, you can. But it takes what? One. Are you willing to allow your life to be disrupted? It could be a family member jumping into your life, disrupting your day-to-day pattern. It could be an unexplainable trouble that happens to you over and over. It could be you not getting what you wanted your way, you realizing what you've always done is not working out anymore. Those are disruptive sites meant to do what? Turn you aside and find God. And when you find God, it's not just some loving God that's cute and fluffy. It's not just some condemning, powerful, fire-raging God. It is an unmanageable power that is both consuming and intimate, that will contradict your life, that will speak into your life and say, look, if you are going to encounter me, that I will, I will refine you. I will move you. I will change you. I will transform you because you will never stay the same as you are. God will meet you however you are. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you've done. He will meet you at that place, but God will never leave you there. And so if you find yourself experiencing God, but yet there is no change in your life, you got to ask the real question, did I really find God? Or have I lost myself in the busyness of the day-to-day life? And not just God in some sort of um, ethereal way, but specifically Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one who was able to die and resurrect. Jesus Christ, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way 
And Jesus says, I am the way. Well, how can I be so sure, PT, that Jesus is the one? Why can't I trust in these other ways? Because no other God would come and die for you. And he proved his power by doing what? Resurrection. Resurrecting from the dead. So the question you have to ask is this. Is Jesus who he says he is? And if Jesus is who he says he is, then you only have two choices. Two honest choices here. One, you bow your knee. You bend the knee, right? And you say, God, speak, and I will obey. Or two, you utterly reject him, knowing exactly who you reject. But you cannot be in the middle ground. You cannot play dumb. You cannot kind of be wishy-washy about it. It's one or the other. And if, you're, if you have any type of integrity, you would. If you have any type of intellectual, moral, emotional integrity, it's either you will bow and say, God, you speak, I will obey, or you say, you know what, I know who you are, and I do not want you. That right there, at least, is honest. But this wishy-washy thing that we do, this kind of back and forth, this kind of, I'm going to search for some spirituality but not submit to anything. I'm going to look around and try to search for God but not really care about whether I find them or not. That wishy-washy is not going to get you anywhere. And, and it will definitely not transform you in any possible way. But if, if you have the courage to engage in your disruptive sight, if you have the courage to come and deal with an unmanageable God who speaks to change and to flourish your life, who asks for your obedience, who demands your obedience, and if you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, what you will see happen in your life, what you will see happen in your life is a journey and a transformation that you can't possibly imagine. But you got to be willing to turn aside and meet God the great I am, none like him, distinct, unique, sacred, no one else. Let's pray.